this is the Early Career Research Forum. The focus of our forum is to provide members with opportunities to access peer and mentor support, develop links with senior researchers, participate in capacity building workshops, and share knowledge across disciplines. If you would like to learn more about the work we do, or if any of our listeners would like to become a member of the ECRF, check eligibility and subscribe free at www.professionalpilotofhub.com forward slash research forward slash ECRF. We welcome your thoughts and questions, so please tweet or direct questions to at AIIHPC underscore ECRF on Twitter. Today's podcast will focus on dementia in older adults and the novel ways in which the social health of these adults is being addressed and improved. We are honoured to be joined by Wei Chico, an occupational therapist and Maurice Gladowska Curie Fellow, currently completing her PhD as part of the Distinct Collaborative Research Project at NUI Galway. Welcome to the ECRF podcast, Wei. Yeah, hi, Rachel. Thanks a lot for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. So firstly, I suppose... Could you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and I suppose specifically what led you to your research into the promotion of social health among older adults with dementia? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm an occupational therapy clinician. So I've actually spent about six years practicing as an OT um, or occupational therapist in Singapore. I started off working in a hospital, uh, mainly working with older people uh, before I moved on to do a little bit of locum work. So very short term, just for a couple of months uh, in a nursing home and the day rehabilitation center. And I really do enjoy working with older people. And it's also kind of through my clinical practice that I developed an interest in research. In a clinical setting, you know, it's actually difficult to um, hold my research skills. So I came across a distinct project and that's kind of how I developed my interest. And working on uh, research with people with dementia. And could you actually just tell us a little bit more about what the DISTINCT project is and how it affects your work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so DISTINCT uh, is actually an acronym um, for, uh, the, it's a very long title. <laughs> so it's a Dementia Intersectoral Strategy for Training and Innovation Network for Current Technology. So there's a lot in this name. <laughs> I'll try to break it down as well. But basically, um, Distinct is a network that supports 15 early career researchers or ECRs across Europe. So there are 10 institutions in seven countries in this consortium, which is fantastic. And the, so the 15 of us, we work on uh, research uh, that focuses on the use of technology to improve the lives of people living with dementia, um, the caregivers and also care providers. So if we look at the name like distinct intersectoral strategy, so it means that you know it's not just working within academia, within universities, but there are also important partners that we work with, such as industry partners that develop technology, um, for example, SilverFit, and also other important partners such as the World Federation of OTs, which uh, do provide a global voice for OTs worldwide. Um, so, which means that, you know, uh, we get to work with a lot of different partners and um, it's, it's really great that uh, having this network would really allow us to leverage on different expertise, not just within Ireland itself, but outside Ireland. So, um, one example would be secondment. We actually have um, two three-month projects where we are seconded to other institutions as researchers or visiting researchers. And this is actually what I'm doing now. I'm actually in Brussels. 
So um, I'm there for like I'm in Brussels for uh, three months of content. We need to look into the ethics of um, implementing pet robots. Yeah, it's really interesting because I'm leveraging on the expertise of um, some ethicists uh, who are really established in this area to kind of get the input on my project. So that's kind of what this thing is about. Great. Yeah, we really benefit from being, you know, having our projects being so multidisciplinary and seeing other other disciplines perspectives on the same problem solving the same problem and that's particularly the case for your project at the moment which is involving technologists and occupational therapists like yourself um so let's talk more about you and your project um let's talk about pet robots how did you come to begin investigating this this very novel concept yeah of course yeah I mean that's exciting so when I first um, got this position with Distinct to um, do my PhD in NUI Goalie, it was a topic where I could look into the fo- into focusing on social robots in general. So basically, social robots, um, if you think about robots, there are many different kinds of robots. If you think about a uh, vacuum cleaner, <laughs> that's also a robot. What's different about social robots is that they actually they're intended to uh, kind of facilitate a bit of social connection amongst people. And there are several kinds. If you see some of the human-looking ones with a little tablet in front of them, those are a kind of robot. And what appealed to me most personally, as well like a pet robot, for personal and for objective reasons, personal reason in that I'm a huge animal lover myself. And also for the objective reason is that there has been research that has been conducted on pet robots for, I mean, over a decade now. And that, you know, um, amongst the different kind of robots, the evidence supporting pet robots would be higher than that of other robots, which is also kind of what drew me to this area. So um, just for listeners, pet robots are actually a kind of robot that look and behave like real animals. So they kind of have behaviors and movements and sounds, and they are kind of seen as a technology-based substitute for animals. Yeah, yeah. I saw that even the the pet robots have a kind of vibration to stimulate a purring and the small touches that kind of add the edge of reality to those things. It's so interesting um, how they were developed. And how would this intervention be applied in Ireland or how, how is it being applied in Ireland? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, about I mean, there are different kind of pet robots. So I think the most renowned or uh, the most known and researched robot is actually this seal. Okay. It's a baby harp seal. It's about two and a half kilos. So it's meant to resemble the weight of a newborn baby. It's very, very intelligent. So it can kind of remember voices. Um, it can... Uh, it can remember like how like a user likes to interact with it. Oh wow! So yeah, it's really intelligent, and um, that is kind of like the yeah, it's uh, there's been a lot of research done on it, <laughs> a lot based in uh, a lot of good research coming out from Australia. Okay, and also it's been used in you know um, countries such as the UK, in Norway as of I think can't remember the exact year, mm-hmm. but. Five years ago, at least 80% of nursing homes in Norway have at least a robotic seal. Wow. Yeah, and in contrast, in Ireland, uh, mm-hmm. two and a half years ago, I think there were maybe about five units of power in Ireland. Yeah. And only one of them was actually, I'm not sure if most of them were actually held by researchers, because to the best of my knowledge, it was only Alzheimer's Society Ireland at the Black Rock mm-hmm. in um, Dublin that were using the seal like 
the name of the seal is Paro. Okay. So they were using Paro um, with people living with dementia who are attending their daycare centers. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that you mentioned about the kind of robots, the, the vibration, yeah, the purring. That's actually a more of an, it's a relatively newer development. So the, um, that's actually a robotic cat. Yeah, yeah. And they have been developed in contrast to Pyro, which has been developed like say more than, I think, 15 to 20 years ago. The cat has only been developed in 2016, mm-hmm. 2015. It's a lot newer. Okay. So... That means that uh, uh, it's there's not as much research done on it. Yes. But the, the comparatively the cost is lower. Yeah. Um, as compared to the seal, which also means that the Alzheimer Society, like the BlackRock, they're also using the robotic cat. Okay. And I've managed to speak to a couple of nursing homes mm-hmm. in the West Ireland. And to, I mean, it was a surprise to us as well that they were using the cats. One of the nursing homes actually shared with me that in light of COVID, where they couldn't have visitors into their home mm. uh, or pets into their home, they you know, started introducing the, the robotic cat and that was how they kind of started. But in terms of, say, we don't actually know how many homes and centres actually use these robotic pets, but it does seem like they are gaining momentum. Yeah, that's really, really fascinating, both in like an implementation kind of way and the cultural differences between Scandinavian countries bringing them in so quickly and finding that they work and bringing them in and then countries like Ireland. Yeah, I suppose then what are the things that drive you in terms of this research and what are the findings on social health with older adults with dementia? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I guess maybe I'll start off with the question, why is this important? I guess the thing is that there is always a gap between research and practice. Absolutely. So which means that there could be really great things that, you know, researchers could find, like, okay, this robotic pet or any other thing that is really useful for people living with dementia. But it's not very often that these things actually go into practice, that people with dementia use it, nursing homes use it, that day centers use it, or even their family members use them. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes when research actually shows that something could have potential or is effective, it doesn't mean that it will be used. And the gap, you know, between research and practice is very um, pertinent. So in fact, you know, I mean, of course, this is not a golden number. Yeah. But it's, it does capture people's attention that typically it takes about 17 years for research to be translated into practice. Mm-hmm. So I guess about pet robots is kind of the same as well. That It's pretty incredible to me that it has been developed for over 20 years. I mean, of course, it's constantly improving. Yeah. But we don't see very equal there seems to be a, a gap in their adoption and practice yes and yeah. that's actually what i'm most interested in you know um how do we actually put pet robots into practice mm. and of course like that's kind of the main focus of my project yeah to look into how to bridge the gap but also as part of this I was interested in looking into lower cost robots like the cat you mentioned because they are markedly low I wouldn't say cheap because it's relative, mm-hmm. but because of that, it seems to have the potential to kind of bridge this gap yes. between research and practice. And I think so far, you know, um, based on the literature that has been conducted on the lower cost robots, it does seem that, you know, they do have the potential to reduce the agitation among people living with dementia, mm-hmm. 
uh, enhance uh, social interactions. It does support people to talk more, whether it's with the cat or with their loved ones. Mm -hmm. And also, it kind of seems to have a calming effect as well. But again, of course, there's no pretty picture. It's not going to be suitable for everyone. And in fact, um, the literature has kind of showed that people with dementia some of them really do not like it. Yes. And in fact, they could have um, negative reactions to the pet robot, such as they could be more agitated. Some people who think that it is real mm. could try to feed it and end up feeling distressed or a sense of responsibility that they can't care for it. Some of them are a little bit worried about, you know, um, like, why is it not eating? Because it's a robot, it can't eat. Yes. Yeah. And when the battery runs out as well, Some people actually worry that, oh, no, it's dead. Mm -hmm. So, of course, like there are two sides to a coin and it's about, you know, deciding or like maybe finding out who it is suitable for and mitigating the negative effects. Yes, yes, exactly. Find the the kind of cohort that it, that it is having these great results on. Absolutely. And you spoke there a little bit about the cost being a barrier to maybe it the rollout of pet robots in Ireland. What are the other barriers and facilitators to actually getting this uh, to be to be a more commonplace thing in Irish nursing homes and in in health centres for people with dementia. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually went to speak to about twenty two care professionals and leaders from uh, eight nursing homes or like community nursing units in Ireland, the west of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the barriers are, I mean, apart from cost, are also the design of the robot. <laughs> so the ones that we investigated were the seal and the cat. Yes. And actually, a lot of them felt that the cat would be a lot more relatable for the Irish older adults. Yes, yeah. In the sense that, you know, what I was told was that most Irish people would have had a pet, you know, sometime in their lives. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, looking at the organization as well, whether it would actually align with the workflow of the organization. So say if someone wanted to adopt a pet robot, whether, you know, is the infection control procedures in place. Yes, that is actually very big, especially in times of COVID. Absolutely. I'm sure that was a great case study for that exact issue and how the kind of bugs that enter those care facilities, how they could be passed on using those. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, in fact, actually, one of the things was a nurse, uh, she actually shared with us that they had a robotic dog and it could only be used for one resident. They had to be so sure that no one else touches it or uses it. Yes. And they had to be measures, you know, in place to kind of um, make sure that the pet robots are cleaned and, you know, aligned with um, HEQA's regulations. Yes, yeah. And, you know, other barriers are things like, you know, whether they had time and manpower resources to actually use the robots. And it was actually interesting in the sense that people who have actually used the robots felt that it did not take extra manpower and time to do it mm-hmm. in the sense that they would already have some time or schedule in their daily routine to kind of do activities with their residents yes. with dementia. And they felt that it was just a part of it. Of course, uh, there are other things as well such as, you know, whether there were plans in place to integrate them, you know, who should be responsible for the pet robot. And, and you know, some people also felt that they didn't receive enough training on how to use their robots. Yes. Um, so, yeah, these are just a couple of things that came up through the interviews. Yeah, because exactly as you say, 
it's the pretty picture of getting these straight to patients. But obviously, there's a huge care network that also needs to be familiarized and on board and have the time, as you say, or else they're going to be unused. So that's fantastic that the healthcare professionals actually just see it as a part of their daily routine that they could fit in um, quite seamlessly. Yeah. So I suppose the million dollar question is, where does this research go next? What are your next steps? Yeah, so I think the interviews were actually very valuable. Mm-hmm. I mean, to provide an Irish context in terms of what were the barriers and facilitators to actually putting these robots into practice. Absolutely. But this also kind of aligned with literature review, where we actually reviewed the research based on uh, 53 articles of 53 papers that looked into the use of social robots in different countries and the findings between the Irish context and the international context were very similar as well okay so which means that we get a good understanding of hey what are the challenges and what would facilitate people or nursing homes to actually adopt this for dementia care Mm -hmm. and the next step based on this was that we actually identified a list of um, the strategies that you know hey if you actually want to you know uh, adopt pet robots in the organization what are the strategies you should look at? And we identified 48 of them. And we actually went through a consensus study uh, with international experts. Okay. 56 of them, in fact. And based on that, we actually identified 14 strategies that people or the experts actually agree as being important and critical. Okay. And so this would be, you know, what we hope to generate from this research that it would provide some practical first steps Mm -hmm. for um, care organizations who actually want to adopt pet robots as a part of their routine care. That's fascinating. It's such it's such interesting work. Thank you so much for um, joining us today. I really, really appreciate it, especially for sharing your very novel and fascinating research with us. It's so interesting to see the paths down which palliative care and dementia care research is traveling and and traveling so quickly. And obviously, as you highlighted there, speaking about the distinct project, the benefits of a multidisciplinary team are seen so clearly in a project such as yours. In fact, your research is a prime example of why it's so important that we have the platform like the ECRF through which early career researchers such as yourself and your distinct colleagues can interact and collaborate and share skills and experiences from such a multitude of of backgrounds and disciplines absolutely thank you so much for joining us yeah but of course thank you i mean i have to say as well like one last thing to add is that the network with early career researchers have been still pivotal for me in my learning and you know collaborations they have been i think my research wouldn't have been the same without the same kind of collaboration and peer learning from early career researchers so I mean, I think this forum is fabulous and it will be great if more people could actually share the knowledge and just learn from each other. Yes, that's so great to hear. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Wei. You're welcome. Thanks, Rachel. If any of our listeners would like to interact with Wei online and find out where you can keep up to date with her research, please search at Wei Chico on Twitter. That's W-E-I-Q-I underscore K-O-H on Twitter. Again, listeners, we welcome your thoughts and questions. So please tweet or direct questions to at AIIHPC underscore ECRF on Twitter too. From all of us at the ECRF, thank you for listening. If any of our listeners would like to share their experience of palliative care, of being an early career researcher or attending a palliative care event, please contact at Rachel C. McCauley or at Power Stace on Twitter. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.